All right, I'm calling this Foundations of the Faith. Foundations of the Faith. We are working through the five core beliefs that I hope that you will embrace with me. Core beliefs are listed there. The Bible is our guidebook. Number one, God loves us, has a plan for us. Number two, all people matter to God, which will be next week. And then number four, we seek to honor God in all we do. And, and fifth in this series of Foundations for the Future is the local church is the hope of the world. Last week, we talked about the Bible being our guidebook. These are things that you can carry with you every day. If somebody says, what is New Hope really all about? These five core beliefs gives you a starting, a starting uh, um, uh, place. So let's stand together, if you will. Let's read our text. Let's get it in front of us. First John chapter 4, and we begin reading down in verse 7. This is indeed God's holy word, and John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son, into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love, have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the worthy sacrifice for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. But as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, I want to say that, read this again, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, I ask that you take me 
out of the picture today. I pray that you would impress on us your love for us and the fact that you have a plan for us. I pray if there's someone here who does not know you in a personal way, I pray that you're already working into their, in their lives. Thank you for bringing them to this place and this point. I pray that something you say today will bring them into full salvation. And I pray, Lord, if there are those today who have trusted you and have fallen away in their spirits, I pray that today will be a day of restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God loves us and has a plan for us. God loves us and has a plan for us. I want you to, I want us to think about this today. Many people would say, Brother Jerry, that is a good statement. I love that statement. I believe that statement. But if you scratch away and get beyond being just skin deep, what you may discover is that sometimes our talk exceeds our walk. Last week I said this, we do what we believe. We do what we believe. The rest is just talk. And so it would be at this point that, that some preacher might want to ask, what is it that you would die for? Now, this may be a question that the church in America has to get clear. Would you die for Christ? A couple of years ago, I saw on the Internet, on YouTube, a Christian being put into bars to pin, and they lit a fire, and they burned him for no other reason than he was a Christian. And then there were those, what, 12 or 13 people uh, that they were beheaded all at the same time, for no other reason than they were a Christian. And you say, well, that can't happen in America. Well, you better hold on, buddy. There are some things happening in America that make us down here on the creek shudder. There's more persecution going on today of Christians than any time in history. So the question is valid. What would you die for? What are you willing to die for? What belief are you willing to die for? But I want to frame it a different way. Church, what are you willing to live for? What are you willing for your life to stand for? I mean, if we're going to be God's ambassadors and redeem this culture, what is it that we're going to live for? And this culture needs redeeming. Now, that would have been a good place for an amen. This culture is a dark culture. And it's trying, excuse my terminology, it's trying to suck us down the drain with the way it's going. We need to know that God loves us. And then we need to live out the the plan God has for us. So I'm just going to take those two truths today. God loves us and God's love for us and God's plan for us. That's going to be our two points. So let's begin right now with God's love for us. Now, many would have no problem with this statement. They'd go, yeah, I know that. But my question is, if an unbeliever, someone who didn't know the Bible, came to you and said, well, you believe God loves you, why do you believe God loves you? 
What would you say? I mean, if you had to explain it, what would you say? Well, since last week, we determined that our first core belief, foundational belief, is the Bible's our guidebook. Let's see what the Bible says about this today. And I'm going to answer this for us from Scripture with three questions. How do we know, show, and sow God's love? So there you see the first one. How do we know God's love? The way we know God... The way we know God's love is we uh, um, look to Scripture. Now, Scripture tells us this, that God declared his love for us. Please listen to me. If you're really going to live for Jesus, if you're really going to be a part of God's ambassadors, really going to be a part of God's army, <clears throat> your answer can't be, well, I think it or I believe it. Or the preacher said it. You need to have some biblical proof. Well, he declared it in Jeremiah 33, 31-3, when he said to the children of Israel, he said, I, loved, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The children of Israel were in bondage. And we'll get to more of that a little later. But he said to them, just like he says to us today, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Brothers and sisters, if God says it, that settles it. And when I was a music director, I don't believe, guys, that we sang this when I was here, but when I was a music director, a song came out, we sang and we loved it. It's a little fun song. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. But I'm just going to tell you this today. God says it. That settles it. It don't matter what you believe. The truth is, is that God, He he doesn't mean what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what he doesn't mean. And he doesn't go back on his word. God loves you with an everlasting love. And his love is perfect. His love is holy. And I want to tell you this. When Jesus was in the garden talking to his disciples, he said, peace I leave with you, not peace as the world gives. Please listen. God loves you with a love that's not like the love of the world. God loves you. I am convinced if we could get this one truth buried in our heart and really embrace how much God loves you, the creator of the universe, it would revolutionize life after life after life. You don't have to worry about it. He declared it. But not only does he declare it, let me raise the level here. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. You know, Love is what you demonstrate. That's why guys, when they're dating that girl that they think is it, that they do all wonderful things, they're trying to demonstrate their love for her. God demonstrates His love for us. Romans 5.8, He says, God shows His love for us. God shows His love for us. God demonstrates His love for us. God proves His love for us. That He sent His one and only Son to be the propitiation for our sin. God proves His own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Did you hear that? And then you piggyback that truth with Jesus saying, Greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. God sent Jesus. Jesus died for us. 
because of God's love. You think the nails killed Jesus? You think the soldiers killed Jesus? You think the cross killed Jesus? What killed Jesus was his love for us. He declared it. He demonstrated it. But he also directed his love. This great love he has is for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that he proved and demonstrated his love. But his love was directed and it was focused at you and me. If you back up in Romans 3, you know what you discover? You discover that God poured out his love on us. Did y'all get that? Now, you know what that's like? You take a tea pitcher and you take you one of those little sissy goblet glasses that ladies love to use for Sunday lunch. Now, men, you'll know what I'm talking about. Don't turn and look at your wife. You may get elbowed. You got that little goblet. It's full of ice, and you have two swallows of water in it. Could I get an amen? But you take that little, you take the picture, and you know what? If you don't watch it, you'll fill that glass full to overflowing, and it will spill out, and it'll get on the tablecloth. And if you ever spilt tea at Sunday lunch on a white tablecloth, you can't get away from it. It's going to get you. It's going to crawl. Do you know that's the love of God? God's love is poured out on us till it's overflowed. It's directed to us. How do we know God's love? Because He declared it. I loved you with an everlasting love. He demonstrated God proves His love. God demonstrates His love for this and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And He directs His love for us. Pours out on us. That's how we know it. How do we show God's love? It's one thing to know His love. It's altogether a different thing to show His love. But I will tell you this. When we really get filled with the love of God, things are different. Because no more than that glass can contain God, no more than that glass can contain the tea that you pour in it, we cannot contain all the love that God pours into us. It pours out and it overflows. So how do we show this? I'll just offer you two or three ways. Number one, by the change in our lives. By the change in our lives. First four, verse seven, uh, First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Hmm. For this type of love is from God. You see, John reminds us here what John had recorded in John, I think it's 13 or 14, in the upper room when Jesus said, A new commandment, John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, what? That you love one another. How? Like I have loved you. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, brothers and sisters, he continually tried to raise the level of mankind's love to a divine level. And do you know why that is? Because to love like Jesus wants you and I to love each other and the lost world requires, requires a huge change for us. I mean... We're cool loving people who look like us, act like us, walk like us, talk like us, smell like us, think like us. We're cool with that. But Jesus taught us to love the unlovable, the down and out, the poor, 
the wicked. And yes, I said this a month ago, even your enemies. <laughs> somebody go, well, that's a nice word. That's cool. Oh, come on, guys. Be real. Think about the person in your life, Jason, that makes your blood boil. And think about how hard it is to love. That's a divine nature. That's not something that we can do at the human level. It's not doable. It's not easy. It requires, a listen, a heart transplant. And that heart transplant comes when Jesus comes into our life. And he takes residence. And according to the Word of God, to say I love God and I hate anyone makes me a liar and self-deceived. We will never show God's love until we know God's love. And God's love has changed us from the inside out so that we can love like Jesus loves. It, it, we are changed. We are changed. That's the way we show. But second way, not just by the change in our lives, but by our conversation. Okay, I'm about to step on everybody, get in everybody's face right here. Our conversation. There is nothing as revealing about me and you as our conversation. In fact, I will go. You'll hear me say this many times because I am. Before I die, I want everybody to know that this is a lie. It's a great country lie, but it's a lie nonetheless. Nobody can know what's in somebody else's heart. Brother Jerry, I just got offended. Well, be offended. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see... Here's a good creek phrase. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's ever in our heart comes out our mouth. You see, it's obvious when you go to read James, the half-brother of Jesus, it's obvious that nobody can totally tame the tongue. Not man, woman, boy, or girl. But it's equally true what the Bible says, what Paul writes in Ephesians when he says we must put off our old self. King James says you must put off your former conversations. New King James says you must put off your former conduct. English Standard Version says you must put off your former life. Can I just tell you something? This is something that people don't understand. When you come to Christ, there are some things that you have to put off. When I say you have to, that's not for salvation. That's what Jesus will do. There are some things that he'll have you put off. There are some things he'll have you put away. There are some things he will have you put down. And there are some things that he will have you put to death. You see, we show God's love how we talk. We put all these things off, down, away, and to death, and then we replace it with the love of Christ. That's how we show it. 
Years ago, one of my favorite young artists, musical artists, was a guy named David Meese. David wrote this song. It says, where there's hate, let me sow love. Where there's pride, Lord, make me humble. Where there's pain, don't let me feel resentment deep inside. I want you to make it right. And the chorus says, So replace it with your love in my heart. Replace it with your love in my heart. Take out all the hatred and cleanse every part. And replace it with your love in my heart. What a thought. Lord, take what's wrong in my life and replace it with your love. How do we show God's love? By the change, by our conversation. But also, and I I hesitate to tell you this, but it's in the Scripture, so I'm going to. By our confidence. You see, when the love of God is flowing in you and through you, it gives you great confidence. Not arrogance, not conceit, because we're nothing on our own. But confidence about the future. We become his conduit of love. If you look down at verse 17 and 18, it says, By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You scoot over to chapter 5, uh, 5.13. John says, I've written these things to you, that you may, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know, know that you have eternal life. You see, when we begin to know, when we know God's love, we show God's love, we have the confidence for tomorrow. We are not confident in us, we're confident in Him. So, how do we know God's love? How do we show God's love? Now watch this. How do we sow God's love? And I'm here in front of a bunch of farmers. I do not have a green thumb. My thumb is brown, Brent. If you don't know what a brown thumb is like when it comes to gardening, don't give me your artificial flowers because they'll die. I just can't grow anything. But how do we sow God's love? By our responses. By our responses. If we are truly in God and we know His love, we're in God through Christ Jesus and we know His love and we show His love, the most natural thing that we do is speak of His love. Speak. Why is it that it's so hard for us to tell people about the love of Christ? How come it's so hard for us to tell people about what's what Christ has done in our life. This is not a judgmental statement from the standpoint of judging you, but it is for you to judge yourself. If you really possess the love, then you got something to talk about. If you don't have the love, you got nothing to talk about. If you possess Jesus in your life, you got something to talk about. If you don't, you have nothing to say. Brother Jerry, I just can't talk. No, that's not right. I've not met anybody at this church yet that's had a problem talking. That's not an insult. 
It's no fun not to be able to talk. My mom went through a medical condition for, for until she had surgery. She couldn't talk. Scariest thing in the world. We can talk, but we really talk about what's really important to us. Nothing replaces telling. Oh, I'm going to live my life. Well, good. Show him. Show people that Jesus is in you. But nothing will ever replace you telling people about how to meet Jesus. By our our response, by our relationships. Verse verse 12 says, If we love one another, God's love, God remains in us. And Jesus tells us that the world will know us by our love. I've already unpacked this a little bit. We can't pick and choose who we love. But I want you to know this. Please listen, church. The lost world, the people who are unchurched, they're watching you and they're listening to you. They see how you and I treat the cashiers at Walmart. They see how we treat the servers in restaurants. My daughter was a server in a restaurant. Do you know that they used to fight about who had to work Sundays? Nobody wanted to work Sundays because church people came and ate Sundays. Notice they didn't say Christians. They said church people. And those church people were the most demanding and cheapest when it came time for the tip and meanest. You know what? The truth is... People are watching us. Our relationships, how we treat people matter. The last thing I would say about sowing, this thing of sowing love is that not only, not only by, our, by our response and our relationships, but by our realism. You know, you can't fake knowing Jesus. You can't fake loving Jesus. You can, you can fake it and go, well, I'm a church member. You know, Brent, you... When did you meet Christ? Well, I got baptized. Well, I joined the church. Well, I took the, walked the aisle. That's a, all those are great things, but that was not the question. You see, we need to be real. We need to be His in this world. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us we have to act weird. Yes, it tells us we have to act holy. Yes, we have to be holy. Yes, we have to live according to biblical principles. But all I want to say to you is, The old hymnal had the song in it, Let Others See Jesus in You. A more modern day, I say modern day, this is still 30, 25, 30 years old, is the song that, think about this, you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. You're the only word of life that some will ever speak. So let them see in you the one in who is all they'll ever need. You're the only Jesus that some will ever see. You see, folks, we need to be real people, serving a real God, living in a real world with real lives, possessing real godly sorrow when we mess up, displaying godly repentance that's real, and showing real love for people. What would it be like if New Old Baptist Church came to be known as the one place where you could go and discover God's love. You want to tell you something? We'd have to have, sorry about this, Eric, I'm about to scare you to death. We'd have to have six services. They would come for states around. 
Because people are looking for the love of God. So I spent most of my time talking about God's love for us. I want to end with God's plan for us. And if you will, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah, as we complete our thought today, Jeremiah 29. God has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29. We'll come back in another day probably and and, and uh, unpack the whole chapter. But it is written, the weeping prophet is writing to the children of Israel who are in captivity. Look at verses 10 through 14. He writes, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then... You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear me. Here's your big, here's your big verse. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Man, that verse 14 is sobering. God sent them into Babylon. God put them over there. You see, He has a plan for us like He had a plan for them. It's not necessarily always a plan of happiness, but it is a plan of holiness. And the story of Israel is God's poster child For his plan. Let me tell you four things quickly about the plan. First of all, the distinctiveness of the plan. His plan is from him to us, just like it was to the children of Israel. When I read this, these four verses from 10 to 14, we read 16 by my count, 16 uses of the word you and your. There are 17 uses from God of I, my, and me. You know what that should remind us of? That God does not have a cookie-cutter plan for everybody. His plan is pretty much a custom job for you. I don't know if that excites you or not, but it does me. Just like His love pours out in our heart, His plan is laid out for our lives and for our church, and it's very distinctive. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your strengths are, whatever your weaknesses are, God designed you that way for your good and His glory. It's if your desire, if your desire is to know life to the fullest... If your desire is to live the best you can, He's your answer. The distinctiveness. But what's the description of the plan? Not only does God have a plan for you, does not, not only does He know the plan He has for you, and not only did He draw up that plan, but your plan, here's the description of it, is for your welfare, it's for your future, And it's for your hope. 
Everything is there for you. He wants the best for you. If you are his child, I need to put a period right here. If you are his child. The modern day culture says, I've heard it many times on TV, we are all God's children. Wrong. Wrong. We are all God's creation. You only get to be a child of God when you're born into the family. Now, did you hear that? You only get to be a child of God. And here's the best part of the way Jesus and our Lord set this up. You are born and adopted. Did you know back in the, in the, in the days of the Bible, a child who was born into a family, the dad could disown them. Send them on their way. But a child who was adopted into the family couldn't be disowned. So you see, we have the best of both worlds. We're born into the family and we're adopted into the family. Please listen to everyone. Please listen. If you're not in his family, you're not his child. If you're not his family, you're not going to that great reunion in the sky. If you're not a part, if you've not been born into his family where Jesus has come and taken residence in your heart and you're following Christ, you're going to get to the end of time and you're going to be lacking. Listen to me, men. We don't like to, we don't like to think this way. I have a friend, a man friend, talking to him a month ago. And I said, you know, I'm leaving Loosedale and I'm worried about you and where you're going. He goes, well, I'm going to plead my case when I get to the throne. And I looked at him with almost a tear in my eye and I go, you just need to know, I love you as a brother, but it don't work that way. You won't be able to, with your testosterone and pride, work your way into heaven. Because God deals with his children. And when you receive him in a personal way, he watches over you like a mother hen. The reason Israel was in exile was because they had rejected God's best. Part of the reason the church of today is in such struggle is because we have rejected God's best and replaced it with other things. When the child of God rejects God's best for their life, they're inviting trouble into their life. God doesn't want disaster for you and me he wants you and I to know life and church life the way that it was intended. And he wants us to find his will and follow his plan. And his plan, by the way, may I just say this to you, is beyond imagination. I'm going to give you a personal word right here. When I knew God was calling me back in the pastry, this is not the church that I thought it would be. And you go, are you putting us down? I know, No, sir. Our starting point is so far above of where I thought he would let me start. This church has been a great church for many years in many ways. And I'm just so thankful God has brought us together. When we submit to his plan, he does incredible things. I could walk through this church just since I've been here and just tell you about some of the things that God is forging. Are we paying attention? 
Chase is on the mend. Sherman told me, Kayla, the fingers are doing well. Back to work. God is doing some physical things among us. And if we'll let him, he'll do spiritual things on the same order among us. Wow. So somebody asked, how do I know his plan, Brother Jerry? And so I'd move that to the discernment. Now, discernment means that you're able to see and, and evaluate and know what is actually best and true. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me, God says, when you seek me with some of your heart. Uh, when you seek me with a little of your heart. Is that what it says? This means no. Are you all asleep already? It says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will only find me, you will only find my plan when you give it all that you got. And when you do this, my promise is, I will be found by you. But what's a little frightening to me is these people were desperate. These people had, had spent such time in bondage that they were desperate. In Babylon, they were desperate. Are we? Are we really desperate to see what God's doing among us? Would you like to know my fear today? So many things are going so well around us. I just wonder what trouble God has to send into our lives, into our culture, into our country and even into our church to make us desperate enough to seek Him with all of our heart. Over the next years, you'll hear me say this many times because I believe it's so true. The most broken of all the Ten Commandments is the first one. You'll have no, I'll have no other God before me. Because I'm afraid that we've placed a lot of things before God. We've placed our jobs, our livelihood, families. It's another subject for another message. But here's what I want to tell you. If there is anything in your life that trumps God, anything in your life that comes before God, it will block out being able to discern his plan for you. That brings us to our final thought, the desire of his plan. This is where the water meets the wheel. I wish I had another 20 or 30 minutes, but I don't. God has a singular desire for every person here. And we find that in verse 14. But let me just tell you it this way. He wants to restore us to the place that he designed us for in the beginning. And the Garden of Eden was a perfect place with one rule. Teenagers, wouldn't you like to live in a world with one rule? 
One rule. Don't eat the tree. You see, if you look here in verse 14, he says, the last, he says, I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Because of our sin, because of our pride, many of us, if not all, have been deported from an ongoing relationship with Christ Jesus. We find ourselves in our own Babylon. And it is only when we seek him with all of our hearts, through Jesus, that we will be restored to the place he deported us from. This is a biblical core teaching, and it's an unchanging truth. God loves us, and God has a plan for us. Over 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, I went to Ridgecrest for the very first time. And I heard a man that is one of my heroes, Jack Taylor. This is what he said. He said, we have to come clean with God if we want to get in on what God is up to. I don't know about you, but boy, I want to be in on whatever God's up to in this place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you give your word to us that we may respond, that we may have life, that we may have it to the fullest, that we may be a group of people that share your love with people around us. I pray right now, If someone does not know you in a personal way, they've never invited you into their lives, I pray that you're already doing your work, that they can come in and be in your family, part of your children. I pray for those who have trusted you and maybe they've allowed other things to take center stage in their life and you're speaking to them. I pray you'll give them courage to return to you. Give us hearts for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.